0: Good afternoon,
1: everyone. What a beautiful group we have here today. Welcome to the Entitled Art Podcast. My name is Anichka. I work in exhibitor services and communications. I'm delighted to be introducing today's panel presented by Young Arts, titled Between Architecture and the Body, Inclusive Futurism in Art. Our panelists today are Hannah Ali, Leo Castaneda, Lee Pivnik, and James Alistair Sprang. I also have the pleasure of introducing our wonderful moderator today, Heike Dempster, the Director of Engagement and Outreach at Young Arts, who has made a name for herself as an art writer, consultant, and respected member of the arts community. Thank
2: you all for being here today. Well, thank you all very much for spending your afternoon with Young Arts and Untitled. We're very grateful for this partnership. And forgive me, I have to use some notes because it's been a long week, as you all probably know. A lot been going on. Uh, so, this panel is entitled Between Architecture and the Body Inclusive Futurism and Art, which is a bit abstract, but we're going to get to all of that. Young Arts is an organization based in Miami, but it's national. We support artists across 10 disciplines around the nation. And we basically identify exceptional young artists, amplify their potential, and invest in their lifelong creative freedom. That's our mission at Young Arts. And we're here in Miami, so you always can check out our programming as well. It's my delight to be here with four Young Arts alumni today. And Anichka already um, introduced them a little bit, but I really want to ask each one of them to introduce themselves, speak a bit about their respective practice, and share how they use um, technology and different media in their work as well. Maybe we just start with Lee and go across.
1: Sure. Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me. Young Arts, of course. Hi, Kay. Um, and with such great company. Um, but my name is Lee Pivnik. Um, I'm a sculptor based here in Miami. And I have been working with sculpture in a very expanded sense. I really enjoy Joseph Boy's framework of social sculpture that like the power of art is to really just create change in the world. And I, I find myself going back and forth on why I make art at all often because I, at the core of who I am, I'm interested in uh, ecology, biodiversity, um, and climate adaptation. Um, But all of these fields become so siloed and art is one of those really like few places left in the world where you can experiment, where you can collaborate with people, where you can think in ways that um, in the, all of those are too structured. Um, and so in my work right now, I've been working on a project called Symbiotic House, um, which is like a long-term social sculpture artwork um, that uses the house as a medium to rethink uh, climate adaptation in a very climate precarious city. Um, and so really I'm interested in how I can continue living and making a life in a place, um, that has a longer, that I have a longer estimated lifespan than the city itself. Um, but, um, and I'm really attached to it, um, both environmentally, um, and historically I, I'm a fifth generation South Floridian, um, my, uh great-grandfather arrived via shipwreck (laughs) um, in the Keys, and um, before that um, had kind of a Key West lineage and a Miami lineage for some time. Um, And so I really, um, in the work, tried to rely on uh, stories from my family, but also stories from other species, um, and then integrating both the kind of, like, reflections and I don't want to say... intelligence but the artificial intelligence the non-human intelligence and then like the kind of artistic reflections into a, a synthesis for um a new approach to architecture um but also like just dwelling you know architecture is such a heavy word and filled with all this baggage and i'm interested in like strategies for living um that embrace this uh mutable city and do so through embodied mutualism as a design strategy um which is what we see in the natural world. So we'll get into what all of that means, I think. But
3: <laughs> hi, I'm Hannah Ali. Uh to branch off of Lee, I do architecture. I run a company called Texture. So I do spatial design in any type of format that I think fits my ethos of creating provocative design and including feminine narratives into the space. So I design everything from stages, sets. um, I'm working on a residential space. I do virtual spaces, really anything that will give me the budget um, and (laughs) anything that will let me do what I want to do. And I think that kind of gets interesting when we talk about futurism and virtual spaces and why I started creating virtual spaces before jumping into creating physical spaces because nobody wants to let you build a building until you've already built the building. Whereas in a render, I can completely show what my world is and I can go, you know, it's it's more than a conversation with an artwork on a wall. You really are encapsulating someone in the world that you're creating. Um, and yeah, I guess we'll get into it more but that's the spiel.
4: Uh, my name is James Alistair Sprang. I'm an artist and technologist and researcher, uh, assistant professor at Mecca. I live between Maine and Philadelphia, which is weird because I'm a Miami boy. Uh, <laughs> As an artist, as a maker, I a lot of my work is just about bringing people together to listen and look while keenly aware of the fact that they are in relationship to other bodies over time. Uh, I make audio-visual installation, and a lot of it is centered on this technology called 40 Sound. It's an advanced spatial sound system. There are four in the world. I own one in the United States, and I've been Uh, integral part of the R&D process. And all of that is just to say, it's really cool to be able to move sound through space, right, and um, the sound works in combination to these paper weavings that I make that feature watercolor photographs and cyanotypes, and they range from three to five feet to 37 by 17 feet. Um, That's me in a nutshell. I guess we'll talk more. Um,
5: hello, my name is Leo Castaneda. I'm a multimedia artist and video game designer based out of Miami, but originally from Colombia. Um, I create video games where there are worlds where the landscape, technology, and beings are identifiably interconnected. Uh, you can try uh, my game and multimedia experience in booth B56 if you're here. in. Um, For the past 10 plus years, I've been uh, creating a process of texturing through handmade paintings and drawings that go into the digital and create an endless feedback loop between analog and digital, analyzing uh, uh, Latin American um, surrealism, Latin American landscapes, and also South Florida environments. Uh, And uh, I've been building this uh, series of artworks and video game called Levels and Bosses that analyzes uh, and tries to reimagine the structures of Hierarchy, conflict, and progression in video games to have more uh, sustainable systems. So, uh, so yeah, if you want to get, try it, down down the street. <laughs> <laughs>
2: All right, thank you for the introduction. So when we were all discussing what we wanted to speak about in this context and were conceptually thinking a bit about internal, external space, creation of new spaces, um, I think Lee was the one that really came up with the idea or the term between architecture and the body. So I want to start one more time with Lee because I wanted you to talk a bit on how that relates to your practice. How did you come up with that? And then maybe everyone else can chime in also with what that triggered in your thought and how that relates to your respective work.
1: Yeah, um, I had the pleasure um, early last year of um, doing kind of like a two month intensive study at the a school called right now the School of Architecture, um, but is uh, formerly Frank Lloyd Wright's Taliesin Fellowship. Um, that was for like eighty years a school that Frank Lloyd Wright established um, to basically both he built. The structure for the school, but then also he and his wife built the curriculum for it. And it was in a way to teach the practices of the place. And a word that he returns to often is organicism in his work um, and organic architecture. Um, And organic for him is very bodily. Um, There's this whole trajectory of the idea of the organic that like right now I think we are all skewed with like thinking about organic as food, but like (laughs) um, organic to Frank Lloyd Wright um, and to architecture is more about the interconnected systems in a a place. And the root for organic in that case goes back to like organs and organ systems within the body and thinking about all of the kind of components within a house or within a system uh, being interdependent um, and then kind of uh, collectively constituting this form. and I recently um, learned beyond that in Miami, we also have this connection to organic design and the body and architecture with the Cheekies. Um, the Cheekies that the Miccosukee and Seminole tribes build um, in uh, in Miccosukee uh, language, the like parts of the cheeky correspond to parts of the body, the like top... Uh, part of the structure that holds all the palm fronds down is, in their language, the same word for spine. The columns are the same word for legs, and like I think that this um, way throughout time that we can relate to seeing space as a reflection of our own bodies. Um, it's just this like whole micro to macro worldview that like of course our bodies are like an architecture for all of the microbiome and non-human cells that live inside and comprise us. Um, and so I, working, you know, of course, like in between systems and biology and architecture, the, the body metaphor comes up often in, in my work and how I think.
3: I feel like I'm listening to a podcast while on a podcast when talking to <laughs> Like, I'm like, oh, really? That sounds cool. Um, <laughs> but uh, similarly, so I think in terms of the spaces that I like to make, it's all about who's going to occupy the space. So a lot of times in thinking of sets and thinking about the music or the dancer who's gonna perform, I mean, my friend Kami, who's a often collaborator of mine, who's a pole dancer, I'm thinking, how is this space gonna be kinetic? How is the architecture of the environment going to interact with the actual user? How can they feed back and forth to each other So I think when I'm thinking about the body and space, I'm thinking about creating intimate spaces, thinking about spaces that people can be really comfortable to be free within themselves. Um, And then also, like, I just love an organic form language (laughs) way more than, like, harsh facets. I think that there's something soft and so Mother Nature-esque to it all. Um, And I think, like, maybe we wouldn't feel so... I don't know what, how to put the right word. Maybe we would like the outside more in the world of how we're creating new buildings, how we're creating new cities, how we're creating new environments of, or what we're doing with these old communities. If we were more inspired by nature itself and creating spaces that are inherently Natural in terms of, like, the form language, the texture and materials, similar to how you're talking about biodiversity, so that people don't feel so disconnected. I think, like, when we start to encapsulate white box spaces and glass spaces, it can become very harsh. And, you know, I think minimalism should die. Um, And (laughs) we should all just, like, get really organic. And if you guys haven't seen Design Miami, I think the the leading design styles that's starting to come about is really mixing like very natural objects and natural materials and using interesting 3D processes to make things that look like aliens have made them. And and so if there is just a little bit more of that, I can't wait till it trickles down into, you know, fast design um, more and becomes something bigger, like how food is becoming bigger in organic design that it becomes into how we inhabit spaces. And I think that goes to you, like how you create a sensorial space. So, yeah.
4: What the handoff? Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, I, I like to say that I create um, sensory poems for the spirit, you know? And um, I call my studio Felt Void because I was at a concert and I was looking at this musician holding their trumpet and I was looking at their trumpet case, which was open and it was just this felt, like, absence. And everything about that is what I'm trying to create in terms of space. I'm thinking thinking about the disembodied voice, I'm thinking about disembodied gestures, Um, and I'm using sonic holograms and weavings to kind of hold that space. Um, The work is so inspired and supported by the technology of ancestry, you know? and I want to call us to feel into what might not be readily, visibly in the room, you know? Um, and with that, I'm going to pass it off to this guy.
5: Uh, thank you, James. Uh, yeah, it's super ex- exciting to feel the, the, the zeitgeist uh, in the room um, on, on the note of architecture and, like, um, and the body. Uh, in my work, I mostly analyze it through the way that in my games, uh, the worlds are very animistic. So I resonate a lot with what you're all saying that you don't you don't know if the if a chair, a chair might have the same form as a drone, which might have the same form as a being that might transform into that chair or that form. Um, and uh, in terms of the way that the architecture of the game works, its um, architecture is highly bound by energy energy use, usage. Like we go to the bathroom to you know move our energy. We have places to eat. We have places to sleep. And in a video game, all abilities and energy are fully uh, arbitrary. So the game that I'm making has beings that use uh, electromagnetism and vibration to and camouflage to to communicate and exchange energy and and they can also shift bodies they, they're always like shifting skins and uh that also leads to reimagining how how they live they, they don't necessarily need the same kind of resting patterns they don't necessarily need the same kind of eating patterns because they're synchronizing with different areas of the landscape stabilizing the landscape to to gain energy and um and anyway so it's been a, a really interesting process to try to figure out like wh- wh- what from nature to learn from what from uh, mythology to learn from what from different design languages to learn from and um, and yeah it 's still an ongoing process and and through a video game it could also be an iterative process so it 's not a fixed like utopia but it 's like a iterative uh, analysis of relational models and how and and, and energy models so that 's that 's where i 'm at.
2: Yeah. So if if you all haven't checked out Leo's work, by the way, it's at B56. He's showing with Negron Pizarro. So make sure you stop by there after this talk and engage with some of uh, Leo's work right there. Um, And I mean, Hannah, especially, you spoke a little bit already how equity is relevant to your practice and your work. Like, who are the spaces created for who engages with them who inhabits them and how do we engage with those spaces so i wanted just to get a little bit um more about how equity um factors into your work and also of course thanks also to the interpreter we have here with us today because we take that uh serious at young arts as well and maybe let's start with hannah this time and speak a bit about that and go around back to
3: um well i guess it starts off first like with the I'm so unapologetically feminine in how I want to present myself. I mean, being from Miami, it's very provocative. It's very sexy. It's very bold. It's all about flexing. I think being in a space that's only men predominantly, like architecture, even technology design, futurism, it's all built by men. And tech bros kind of are ruling the whole thing. Um, When I was working at this architecture firm, OMA, in New York. It's um, Rem Koolhaas's architecture firm. Everybody wore all black and everybody wore, everybody was a guy, pretty much. I was the youngest girl to work there. Um, I just, I just would walk around the office feeling floating because I'm like, well, I'm not you. Like I have something so special to bring to this world and so special in a different design perspective that maybe, you know, people who are underrepresented, but, you know, who's underrepresenting when we're representing ourselves so well? Um, I think, like, a lot of people who are Caribbean or black or brown or women, like, we just come through and show out. Um, I used to call my personal style ho texture. I used to say I'm ho-adjacent. Like, I... I will I will push it to the brink just enough, but I'll always back it up with the craftsmanship and the knowledge that I know. And I used to just keep on telling that to people, like, "Oh yeah, I'm Hoa Jason. I'm uh, ho architecture is my style. This is how I document myself." Um, and then they were like, "Well, you should make that a page. You should make that a company." And and I just like went and did it. And ever since I created ho architecture, I have not been able to work or settle for less. Anytime I've ever tried to work with, again, some crazy narcissistic guy, like (laughs) it, it would just always turn out wrong. Every time that I tried to put myself in a position to not value what I'm doing and not to speak my truth or not to speak an exact point of view of what I was trying to represent, even though I'm young, I think it is okay to just be your own intern. Um, that I just am pushing hard for that because, uh, yeah, I'd rather put myself through hell knowing that it's for myself than knowing that it's for somebody else and that a lot of women in my footsteps will follow and they'll feel okay to be unapologetic too and not bend to the rules of architecture and the patriarchy. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Um. For me, I just, like I mentioned, there are four of these sound systems. One is in Berlin, one is in Budapest, one is in Montreal, Canada. Um, None of the people that I make music with or none of the people who are making music that I admire are like posted up in those places. Um, So I just really want to make that technology accessible for others. What does it make What does it mean if we make music in anticipation of that technology instead of like um, spatializing Kei latest album, right? What happens if like he comes to the studio and he composes something with an understanding of what it feels like in the body for a sonic hologram to move around you and through an audience? Um, So that's how I'm interested in equity and how I'm investing my time. Uh, trying to make that technology accessible for others. Yeah.
5: Um, <clears throat> in terms of uh, game design and equity, it's a lot about uh, accessibility of controls. Uh, so, I've been really trying to fi- figure out how there could be the the game itself that's through a gamepad, but also different pieces uh, such as like a three hundred and sixty videos that are controlled through through mice, where you only need you know like one finger or like t- two fingers to use. Uh, like really thinking also about like the UI design, like how different abilities are taught and and how to make that poetic but also useful at the same time. So it's definitely been a significant challenge. And um, and yeah, in terms of like the 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 world design, like the the beings uh, don't have a fixed identity and they don't have fixed gender. They don't have a fixed uh, skin color. They're always in transformation. So it's also um, something that feels like Anybody, ideally, anybody could identify with it, even perhaps uh, an animal or or something like a, like it, it. It tries to not be uh, to put humans as the the peak of the hierarchy, but even like AI, animal, nature, everything is kind of within a, a cycle of uh, sentience uh, that is, yeah, like 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 Lee said, and like inter- interdependent. So.
1: I think in um, my process and what's brought me to this interest in actually constructing a space and doing so very slowly through like, I've been on like a two-year research kick right now and not rushing to actually break ground on anything, um, is well before that, since 2017, I've been working on a project called the Institute of Queer Ecology, um, which evolved out of a like Seeing an absence in environmental spaces for queer community. Queer community is so often centered around nightlife, um, and I'm not too much of a night owl, but I do like bird watching, um, and I like literally like have evolved in my trajectory as a person in life just because I was super into bird watching in middle school when it was like the nerdiest thing to do, and then I wanted to do like wildlife photography, and then I. Anyway, like, one thing led to another. And I just felt this, like, divide in environmental spaces and queer community. And I wanted to think about queerness within a larger context of evolutionary history. I wanted to think about queerness in maybe a non-human sense. Um, There are so many, like, uh, processes that have divorced um, queer people from nature, um, often very hostile ones. And... um, the nature, the natural world is so incredibly queer. Um, there's a fungus with 26,000 different sexes in it. (laughs) There is, um, right outside here on the beach, we could look at how the, the sand that we're importing to make Miami beach, um, is a different size of grain and a different, um, color. And that changes the heat of the entire beach, which changes the sex of sea turtle eggs as they're born in the sand here. And that kind of like, fluidity like in the natural world is like antithetical to how we're taught about gender and sexuality and life and being and careers and everything in the world is constructed so rigidly. Um, And so, um, a lot of the work I've been doing with the Institute of Queer Ecology is lecturing um, on these two themes of queer experience, these like strategies from embodied queer experience that can like be deployed as useful tools in a changing world. Um, and those are mutability and mutualism. And one of them is more of an individual experience of queerness or of, of life where Um, in opposition to all of that rigidity, you embrace change either in your own identity or just like acknowledge that, um, none of this is as static as it's, it's told to you as, um, and of course, like to be mutable in a mutable world is such a strength, um, and not at all what the built environment is uh, built to do. (laughs) Um, And so, um, and then mutualism comes as like a form of symbiosis, um, where symbiosis, super quick speed run here, um, is basically just the relationship between two species um, of of different species, two organisms of different species. And those can be parasitic relationships, um, like the one that our built environment has with the natural environment now, or they can be mutualistic relationships um, where uh, both uh, parties are getting uh, more than they put in, uh, this kind of amplified reciprocity. Um, And so upon like thinking about and lecturing about these themes for a while, I arrived at a point of like, okay, actually, what does that look like as a practice, as a space, as a life way? Um, And that's what I'm trying to do in this work now. Um, And the way that I think that comes through also with the lens of how to do so equitably is to do so in like open research groups, not be like holed up in a studio, um, either an individual artist studio or an architectural studio, um, but like out, uh, like often monthly engaging people um, into different conversations into amplifying Either visiting speakers that are coming into Miami as part of the research process, or speakers from within the community, um, touring sites. Really, I'm trying to create a space for experimental architectural learning that, like, also is just looking at the history and the ecology of the place, um, and that's how I like to learn. And so I hope that it's a useful tool for other people to learn as well.
2: Well, we learned a lot today about so many things already, and I'm looking at the time a little bit, but. What what's been coming up a lot is of course all your different connections to Miami, whether that's to storytelling, cultural references, growing up here, working here, and of course we're here in the untitled tent right here, Miami Beach, young Arts is based in Miami. So I just wanted to say for each of you to say a little bit more about your yeah how you how Miami relates to your practice, yeah and storytelling, references, etc. And maybe we start this way around. I don't know. Leo gets to go first. <laughs>
5: okay. Um, thank you. Thank you, Heike. Um So uh, as probably will resonate with many of us in the room um, here in Miami, we're at the forefront of climate change, uh, immigration. We have a lot of issues that are happening very close to us, uh, um, gentrification, et cetera. And they inevitably affect uh, how we see our work and how we see our practice. Uh, The biology of South Florida is also very impactful. and the multiculturalness of South Florida, like growing up, uh, like uh, speaking multiple languages, having friends from many places. Uh, I think that creates a, a sense of um, a, an area that is uncertain and where there's no fixed uh, perspective. Um, so, yeah, I would say that's definitely influential.
4: Um, yeah, agreed. There's a multiplicity to Miami that informs my multidisciplinary work. Um, I think whether you're making a film, or a song, or a painting, right, we're storytelling. And um, I think of the work that I make like the surface of the ocean, right? They're multiple disparate waves, but they're all coming from the same tailwind. And I'm employing all these different disciplines to tell the same story. yeah so like for example when i leave here i go to my second museum solo install and it's like an orchestral score and on the wall is a bunch of vinyl that is ultimately a poem which frames weavings that i've made um and the walls are all blue uh so (laughs) yeah i'm inspired by um cultural diaspora, the ways in which communities have been torn apart and woven themselves back together, and my practice kind of like mirrors that.
3: Okay, well, mine is a little bit crazy, but um, growing up in Miami as a girl, you grow up young and you grow up fast. Um, You know, you definitely don't look 16 at 16. Um, So in high school, I went to this school called DASH, which is Design and Architecture Senior High. Um, and I think growing up in a, the design district, it was just starting to get built up. Like Craig was just starting to put his whole budget into putting front facing artworks on all of the stores and really making luxury become a community experience and become like this inhabitable art space. So I think between growing up in the design district and seeing all of these points of luxury of like. You know, all of the boys would go run to the gate when they see this like spider Maserati and they're all like in transportation design. So like it's peak of what you want to design. And I think in context of Miami, luxury really runs the entire economy here of what we're shooting for. Um, And so my first entrance into luxury was kind of working with rappers. Um, So (laughs) very different than the artists I work with now. But my first... What is it? Like um, my first opportunity to design stages was through Rolling Loud and they were like, well, you know, you're young. What do you know about designing a stage? What do you know about anything really? And I just would sit at front of house and I would just talk to all of the, the lighting technicians and all of the people and I would tell them, oh yeah, I design stages. I design stages. I, I had never designed a stage in my life. Um, but Miami has this attitude of fake it till you make it and just look the part and people will believe that you're the part. So I think it's the attitude of Miami that made me become who I am. And I mean, the first stage that I ended up designing was Diplo's at Coachella. And I didn't know really like, like... (laughs) how I got there (laughs) but um, it was really the fake it till you make it attitude of Miami and I'm like always interested to see how the cycle of luxury of like what people from underprivileged communities will do for luxury and um, what are these codes of advertising that we're using and what is this whole community that we're basing it around I think is is really um, how I inform my practice of The things that I want people to see that I'm making, it has to be desirable. It has to be seductive. It has to be that woman that you're looking at on Miami Beach. And you have to think, I want to go to that. I want to have that. So, um, yeah, it's, it's about desirability.
1: Um... Wow, I could say so much about why I live and work here, but um, I mean the biggest thing is that it's weird. <laughs> like we're like in a artificial pop up tent right now that gets on seven beach. on the beach that gets like seventy percent of its power from a nuclear plant that is filled with crocodiles. It's like the croc the like the last remaining population of American crocodiles like the majority of them live in the nuclear plant that generates this power <laughs> in the cooling canals outside of it. But like that like a imi- like you can and it's like the right size city where you can see that. Like you can understand it while not being too too overwhelmed and you can feel like you have a voice here and that the work you do is important, but it's not too small year round that you go crazy. Like there's always enough to do. Um, And so between those two things and like, of course there's the climate changing and the the whole thing is not sinking, but you know, we'll have a, (laughs) we'll have issues with water more and more moving forward. But like, beyond just the like threat of sea level rise, there are so many interesting environmental confluences here. We have more invasive species than any place in the world. Um, and they're all gorgeous. It's like, uh, like iguanas and peacocks and macaws. And it's like everything that we wanted to recreate this, this parcel of land that like was initially like a endangered pine forest has been remade as like a global tropical, like metropolis. Um, and so the whole thing is a construct, including the tent we're in <laughs> that'll All come down tomorrow. Just yeah, super
3: delusional.
1: <laughs> um, and so um, you know, it feels like even just what you were saying earlier, Hannah, about like the the virtual space and having the like freedom in virtual space to explore um, and play and and feel like um, there are less restrictions. Um, Miami both has the strongest building code in the nation, but also seems like anything is possible <laughs> in this tension. So, um, yeah.
2: <laughs> I think anything is possible. We had a lot more planned for today, including speculative futurism and other things, but I think we need to uh, leave that for our part two, uh, come in somewhere soon, maybe at YoungArts, uh, because we are kind of a little bit out of time and we do want to leave uh, a few minutes for questions as well. So, if anybody uh, would like to ask any of the panelists, um, I think we can, should we pass this around or do you have one right there? Um, yeah, anybody has any questions?
0: Thank you all for being on the panel today. Hear me okay? Great. Uh, my question is for this artist in regards to the last things you said before the panel answer. You said that you were very interested in interaction with the history and the people of the area, is that is that true, that that influences your art? So what I wanted to ask you is, if during that journey, have you had any chance to interact with any of the original inhabitants around here who'd lived here for over a thousand years? Or have you had any chance to interact with any of the like old Jewish guys like me who were here for dozens and dozens of years? Because it seems to me that you're evolved here or gentrified, depending on how you want to look at it, into a luxury youth-based situation that doesn't reflect the history of this area in any way. So I think you have a difficult journey, but I'd like to see what you think about that transition from Native to Northerners coming down to luxury and how that might influence your work. I appreciate it. Thank you
1: yeah I see all of the complexities of the place here. I like feel very much like the any connection I have to like time and ancestry in Miami um, is long within the how we think about the timeline of the city being like a two hundred year old city um, but in terms of the ten thousand year old history of inhabitants of the place, I'm just a settler um, and but I also find that there's nowhere else I would like to live because my family between being here long enough or losing memories to Alzheimer's I have no other histories of other places that I can inhabit I have no feeling of a place that I want to return to through family history um and so this is the only home I'll ever know um in with that baggage of the harm and the damage that settling this place has caused, um, and so a lot of what I try to do in the work um, is find ways that I can bring in tools for environmental remediation um, that just like reflect back what the um, what good I can do here as a person engaged in biodiversity, but also. In some of these architectural things, a lot of Miami, the design district included, prides itself on being um, LEED certified where, you know, the standards are for lowering um, the emissions basically of the neighborhood. I've been interested in um, the living building challenge, which is both a uh, still an architectural kind of certification process, but it brings in uh, mutualism kind of like trying to do. Um, generate more power than you need, more water than you need into the structures you're building, the lifeways you're designing, so that you're no longer in this situation of extractivism, but one of trying to regenerate the land itself. Um, and in those, one of the requirements they have is that you um, actually, whatever parcel of land you're actually working with, you like, offset that with another parcel of land that goes into like, a permanent land conservation Um, They're trying to develop something like E.O. Wilson's half-earth theory, where half of the earth is put away for permanent conservation. Um, I think there's an opportunity within that to engage indigenous communities as actually the stakeholders of those land conservation programs. Um, So I've been talking a bit with the Miccosukee tribe for that. One of my advisors on my project is um, uh, Reverend Houston Cypress of the Otter Clan of the Miccosukee tribe, And we've talked about how the land back initiatives that the tribe is doing could overlay with trying to restructure how the living building challenge operates. Um, And so this week we actually have some people coming in from Chicago who work with the living building challenge. And hopefully next year as I move from just this kind of virtual architecture and towards starting to build something and apply into the certification, I'm hoping to then also apply um, into their conference to be able to pressure them with an example of how it could work. Um, So it's all just virtual right now and a lot of the virtual is concept and a lot of the concept, you know, is in the context of these art fairs. Um, but, um, yeah, I hope some of that is helpful.
4: If I could, if I could end on a note of, of gratitude, um, I just want to say that I believe the word panel comes from like old French for, um, a small piece of fabric. And I just want to say that, uh, it's nice to be up here in conversation um, with people of one cloth. And thank you for listening.
2: Thank you all so much. See you soon. Thank you.